Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Former President Trump is campaigning in Pennsylvania tonight for Senate candidate Dr. Oz. We'll bring you more from the rally. Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is qualified to run for re-election. A judge in Georgia is ruling against a group of voters who challenged her eligibility. If a woman wants to get an abortion in Louisiana, she could face murder charges. That's if a new abortion bill becomes law. The FBI is allegedly suspending agents' security clearances. Apparently, that's another way of saying you're fired. A former military contractor who gave an interview to NTD News was forced to resign. NTD spoke with him and a special agent in the Air Force to find out more. The stakes are high for the swing state of Pennsylvania this midterm election. Former President Trump is visiting the state today to campaign for Senate candidate Dr. Oz. But some Trump supporters tell us they aren't firmly with the former president on this endorsement. NTD's Melina Wisecup is at Trump's rally tonight. Melina, what's the environment like out there? Hi, Steph. Good to hear from you tonight. So as you, uh, you can tell, it's very rainy out here and it's very cold and there's still a lot of people here. So this is what you call dedication at its finest, I would say. So this is a pretty good crowd. A couple of probably a couple of hundred people are here, some with umbrellas, some without. Right now we're hearing from a couple of speakers before President Trump takes the stage. Now I want to step back and explain why Pennsylvania is a key state right now. So why President Trump is coming here is he is endorsing a Senate candidate, Dr. Oz. And Pennsylvania is a swing state. So right now there's uh, there's two senators, of course, for Pennsylvania. One is a Republican and one is a Democrat. That Republican seat is now up for re-election. And so Republicans really have to try to hold on to that seat in order to keep their 50 seats in the Senate. So if a Democrat takes that seat, it could flip the, the dynamics there in the Senate in the U.S. Congress. Now, earlier today, we spoke with a, a few Trump supporters that are here and asked them about a couple of things. We spoke to many people who told us that as they go to the polls this season, the economy and inflation is on the top of their agenda, on the top of their minds as they cast their ballots. Now, also, another thing that I spoke with them about was Trump's endorsement of Dr. Oz because there are many people who aren't supporting that. For example, on the stage, Dr. Oz's name has been mentioned multiple times, and each time it's mentioned, you hear a large boo, a bunch of crowd members booing him. So that just shows that uh, not it's unclear how he'll do in the race. Right now he is leading, but it's unclear if he'll actually come out with a victory. So we're going to let you listen to some of what people, uh, Trump supporters were telling us here earlier today. I'm a business owner, and it's been a rough couple of years for a lot of us that have been business owners during the time of COVID. I've had a lot of friends lose their businesses through the demise of the Biden administration. So I'm really looking forward to a comeback of the Republican Party for the rest of us Americans that are so proud to be an American. Black people and white people got to realize that the enemy looks like both of us, and they use us against each other. So I'm here to stop that. So the Bible said, time for the two brethren to come together. America in general has kind of lost its roots, I think. Um, conservatives, they want, you know, we believe in God, we believe in strong families. I think 
big government is a big problem. I'm definitely here in more of support for Trump than Oz, but um, I'm sure he has his reasons. But uh, no, I mean, like a J.D. Vance one and everyone, I mean, the Trump endorsement plays well. And I think it will play well in the Oz campaign as well. And, and I think he will do f phenomenally. All thanks to President Donald J. Trump as well. He's a con big contributing factor. It's not a good endorsement. Really? But nobody's perfect. So as we heard from them, we heard about they're, they're here for traditional American values. Some are kind of iffy on the Oz endorsement, but we'll see. Actually, as a matter of fact, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo today um, released some news about Dr. Oz, or released a briefing uh, trying to reveal his connections to Turkey. And so it's interesting to, to think that former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has split with Trump on this endorsement. But overall, I mean, the Trump, uh, Trump obviously does still have a lot of power within the Republican Party. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, Senate race here in Pennsylvania unfolds. Steph, we'll throw it back to you. Thanks, Melina. And we'll continue to bring you the latest news for this, from the swing states as we head into the midterm elections. And a judge in Georgia has ruled that Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is qualified to run for re-election. A group of voters had challenged her eligibility, claiming that she engaged in insurrection by playing a role in the January 6th protests at the Capitol. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has the final say over whether Greene can still appear on the ballot. Missouri and Louisiana are suing the Biden administration. The Republican-led states allege the administration is applying pressure and colluding with big tech companies to suppress free speech. Specifically, they're coming after President Biden, his press secretary Jen Psaki, and Dr. Anthony Fauci, among others. The two states' attorneys general filed the lawsuit, Eric Schmidt of Missouri and Jeff Landry of Louisiana. They filed the case in a district court in Louisiana on April 5th. They made the announcements separately on Thursday. The states claim President Biden worked with social media companies to censor conversations. Those companies are Meta, Twitter, and YouTube. And the conversations include topics from COVID-19 to election integrity to Hunter Biden's laptop. They said the administration did so under the guise of combating misinformation. As for the laptop, an editor at Newsweek says burying the story was journalistic malpractice. But the Washington Post says there was enough doubt about how the information was sourced to justify mainstream news outlets using caution in reporting on it. Here are the other defendants in the lawsuit. DHS Secretary Mayorkas, the director of DHS's new disinformation governance board, the Surgeon General, the CDC, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the Homeland Security Secretary, and the director of the Government Cybersecurity Agency. When A.G. Schmidt made the announcement, he said, free speech is paramount to a healthy society and discourse, debate, and discussion, and has been the cornerstone of our country since the founders codified that right in the Bill of Rights. Schmidt said Americans use social media to discuss many topics. Those include whether masks are effective and whether the virus leaked from the Wuhan lab. Schmidt referenced the totalitarian dystopia in George Orwell's 1984 to make his point. He said the Biden administration is pressuring social media giants to censor speech in what he calls a misguided campaign against misinformation. We contacted the White House for a statement but haven't heard back yet. The lawsuit goes on to accuse Biden and other government officials of, quote, falsely attacking the laptop story as disinformation right alongside Twitter. The New York Post first published the laptop story in October 2020. It described what was found on the laptop that was abandoned at a repair shop in Delaware. 
The outlet said it contained compromising pictures and emails of alleged corrupt business deals overseas. Twitter labeled the story as potentially harmful and locked the outlet's account. The platform also stopped users from sharing a link to the story. House GOP lawmakers said today that whistleblowers have come forward. They allege that the FBI is trying to terminate employees who participated in the January 6th rally at the U.S. Capitol. The House Judiciary Committee Republicans said in a Twitter post that the employees did not enter the U.S. Capitol and have not been charged with any crime. In a letter dated May 6th, Representative Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio and the ranking member, said several whistleblowers told the committee the FBI was suspending security clearances of employees who attended protests on January 6th. He said a security clearance is required to maintain employment, so the FBI has effectively suspended these employees indefinitely. Among the alleged reasons for the suspension is violation of loyalty to the United States. Louisiana lawmakers have advanced a bill that would make abortion a homicide in the state. A lawmaker says they cannot wait on the Supreme Court. Arlene Richards has more. We cannot wait on the Supreme Court to confirm that innocent babies have the right to life in Louisiana. As the country waits for the official Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade, the Louisiana legislature seeks to make its own ruling. Lawmakers say the landmark case is unconstitutional and they have advanced a bill that would abolish abortion in the state. If passed into law, all unborn children would be granted constitutional rights from the moment of fertilization, and abortion would be classified as a homicide. The taking of a life is murder, and it is illegal. Louisiana law currently fails to provide equal protection for human life. Persons are deemed unworthy of legal protection for no other reason that they are not yet born. An attorney for reproductive health care providers said the bill will allow pregnant women to be charged with murder for taking action against their own pregnancy. This is a homicide statute. What this bill does is to specifically amend the crime of homicide and the crime of criminal battery to enable the state to charge people, including the pregnant person. A pastor who co-authored the bill says an animal's life in Louisiana is worth more than a child's because an abortionist is only charged $1,000. You need to realize that cruelty to an animal is fined by $25,000 currently in our state, and I support that. But why is an animal's life 25 times more valuable under law in our state? The legislation was approved in a 7-2 committee vote. It now moves to the state's full House of Representatives for consideration. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. A new poll suggests that more than half of registered voters support banning teachers from talking about certain sex ed topics with students before they reach fourth grade. The Fox News survey asked voters whether they would support a law that prevents teachers from talking about sexual orientation and gender identity with younger students. That's also a feature of a recent Florida law called Parental Rights in Education. And other states, such as Ohio and Texas, have also begun proposing and drafting similar bills. What's behind this trend, and where did it all begin? To take a deeper look at these issues, I spoke with Alex Newman, journalist, educator, and co-author of the book Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools. Alex Newman, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. A recent poll reflects a growing trend towards curbing sex ed in school for younger kids. Why do you think people are becoming more concerned about sex ed classes? 
I think the reason people are getting more concerned is because they're finally realizing what's happening. Uh, I think for, for many, many years, American parents were clueless about the kind of really graphic sexual education that was taking place in the classroom. And it goes way beyond just sexual education. We're not just talking about biology or, or health lessons. We're talking about uh, indoctrination that encourages children to adopt certain attitudes and values and beliefs toward sexuality, toward issues of gender. Uh, and these issues are highly controversial, even among you know liberal Democrats. It's just a natural reaction that parents don't want their children exposed to these types of topics. Has the content of sex ed classes changed over time? The content of sex ed has drastically changed over time. And the first people to really pioneer this idea that the government should be sexualizing children, uh, this was uh, back during the Bela Kun regime, the, the communist uh, Bolshevik regime that took root in Hungary for a short time under the leadership of uh, cultural and education commissar Georgi Lukas. And uh, what he wanted to do, and he was very explicit about this, was use this sort of psychological terrorism in the form of graphic sex education to try to break down the uh, moral values of these Hungarian children. And as you look at the history of this, I, I believe that this was the true agenda of the people pushing sex education for the last 100 years. Now, they couldn't come right out and say that. They couldn't start right away in the 1920s, the 1930s, the 1930s. 1940s, teaching children to go have multiple sexual partners, teaching children that they might have been born in the wrong body and that if they mutilate their genitals, they can be a new gender, or that they should go out and experiment with homosexuality. I mean, this would have been uh, absolutely forbidden. And so with each generation that passes, uh, the content has become more and more graphic. The content has become more and more radical. The values being promoted have been more and more explicitly uh, anti-traditional, anti-Christian, anti-family uh, values. And I think there really is a, a very sinister motive here. And so in your view, what is the motivation behind this change? Well, I think there's several, but I think the, the most basic and fundamental goal is to undermine the nuclear family. And uh, one of the ways that that happens is by undermining traditional morality and traditional values associated with sex. Uh, in the traditional Christian Western view, uh, sex is a, uh, a divine issue that is uh, put in the confines of marriage. And uh, it's designed to bring children into the world. It's designed to uh, bring a husband and wife closer to each other. But what's happening in these schools is it's being devalued. It, it's becoming uh, something that's just an issue of pleasure, something that uh, anybody can do anytime as long as there is consent. That's the new moral absolute. As long as there's consent, anything can happen with anyone. It could be multiple partners. And, and ultimately, I think the objective is just break down traditional values, break down the nuclear family, and, uh, and then replace the nuclear family with government. Uh, Marxists have long had this vision of uh, replacing the family and the parents with the state as the primary influence in the child's life in terms of passing on values, in terms of passing on morals, in terms of passing on culture. Uh, families really have, have historically always served as a kind of transmission belt for the values and the culture and the ideas of that, of that uh, society, of that culture. In your view, would it be better for children if schools do away with sex ed and leave discussions about sexuality to parents? There's no question in my mind that uh, children and families and society would be better off if these topics were taken out of the hands of public schools and left to parents primarily. Uh, and, and I honestly think that's true with 
almost all issues. Uh, you know, I, I do believe parents should be the primary um, guardians and and educators of their children. Now, that doesn't mean that every parent needs to homeschool, but parents need to play a very active role in the education of their children. Yes, they can delegate out some of those tasks. They can hire tutors. They can send their children to a private school or a Christian school or a school that reflects their beliefs. But this usurpation uh, over the upbringing of children by government, I think, has been a, ca- a catastrophic mistake. I think it's one of the, the primary drivers of the problems that we're seeing in our society right now, the unrest, the uh, collapse in the family. We have now, uh, depending on whose statistics you look at, most marriages ending in divorce. Parents need to be put back in charge. Uh, I'm encouraged to see uh, hopeful trends in that regard with states across the country passing legislation to uh, 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 strengthen parental rights and to put some control back in the hands of parents. But we need much more of that if uh, our society is really going to survive and thrive. Alex Newman, thank you. Thank you so much. Renowned professor and clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson has been appointed head of a new liberal arts college in Savannah, Georgia. The school is on a mission to revive and reinvent traditional higher education. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. Jordan Peterson is well known for sounding the alarm on the decline of higher education. Now he's on a path to help revive it to its former glory. Peterson announced Thursday he's accepted the appointment as the Chancellor of Ralston College in Savannah, Georgia. Peterson said he and the school's president, Stephen Blackwood, hope to fashion a truly classic liberal arts institution. In a joint video, Blackwood posed the question, what is the higher in higher education? The greatest works of art and intellect, those that can give illumination and direction and help us to understand our lives and what we can become. You're not studying great literature to be entertained. You're studying great literature to learn how to be great and then to manifest that in everything you do. In January, Peterson resigned from his tenured post at the University of Toronto due to what he called the appalling ideology of diversity inclusion that is demolishing education and business. As chancellor, Peterson is the formal and ceremonial head of Ralston College. Grace Coulter, NTD News. A former government contractor got permission from his company to do an interview with NTD. But after the interview, he was forced to resign. NTD's Jason Perry spoke with the former contractor to find out more. Steve Dito had been a government contractor on and off for the last 22 years. Everything changed last August after he did this NTD News interview about the war in Afghanistan. Our head of HR actually reached back out to me and said, well, we have no problem with you doing the interview. Just don't mention the company and don't mention your exact job title. The company's name is ITA International. And Dito said it was four months after his interview with NTD when his company contacted him and said he committed a security violation. They told him that he needed to resign or be terminated. No one could tell me what the security violation was because I had permission from our company's human resources department to conduct the interview. As a matter of fact, it was the company's head of human resources or the the chief people officer. We reached out to ITA International and they declined to comment. They referred us to their military point of contact, a special agent in the Air Force. He said he had heard of the situation with Dito, but he wasn't there when it happened. 
He said in the contract that ITA International had with the military, it says that contractors are not allowed to discuss their job details with the media. Dito said he felt betrayed. I wish the company would have fought a little harder for me and someone from, from the company would have stepped up and said, hey, look, it's not his fault. We gave him permission to do this. ITA International then offered him a job at another location, but he respectfully declined. He said he'll never work in government contracting again. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. Up next, Department of Education staffers in New York City might soon be placed at homeless shelters. That's to assist the 100,000 homeless kids in the city. And in Philadelphia, injured center Joel Embiid cleared the concussion protocol, but what's his status for tonight's game? That and more coming up on NTD News. Update on a story we reported on earlier this week. In New York City, the Department of Education might place staffers in homeless shelters. That's to support the more than 100,000 school kids experiencing homelessness. NTD's Ariane Pazdar has the details. According to the New York Post, some city council members want 150 Department of Education staffers to be placed at homeless shelters. They would then assist the around 100,000 school kids experiencing homelessness. The staffer would help the kids with things like getting to school if the bus doesn't come or finding clothes to go to school if they don't have any. But why are there so many homeless kids in New York City? Uh, family homelessness is a growing problem. Um, it speaks to the lack of affordable housing. Um, it speaks to, um, you know, one, one reason why many uh, families enter shelters because of domestic violence. Jennifer Pringle is a project director with Advocates for Children of New York. She says adults without a high school diploma are four times more likely to become homeless than the ones with the diploma. If we really want to break the cycle of family homelessness, we have to make sure that our young people who are homeless right now are connected with school, connected with supports in school so that they're successful and they can graduate and lead independent lives. She added that often families are placed far away from the kids' school, which makes things more complicated. The number of homeless kids in New York is determined by self-reports from families and counts by the Department of Homeless Services. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Parents across the nation are reporting a serious shortage of baby formula at supermarkets. They're taking to social media and asking for media coverage and political action. Some parents are posting pictures of empty store shelves and calling for help. One parent wrote, the baby formula shortage is unreal. Get these babies some food. Another parent in California wrote, this is my local target, which is more stocked with formula than most other stores. This is a problem. Where is President Biden on this? The shortage of baby formula has been going ongoing with the supply chain crisis. But it's worsened recently after formula maker Abbott Laboratories issued recalls following a number of deaths. Major retailers, including Walmart and Target, have placed limits on how much baby formula each customer can buy at one time. Lawmakers in New York City want to make it illegal to send unsolicited sexually explicit pictures to others. 
People who send them anyway might face up to a year behind bars. The city's top Republican, Joseph Borelli, and Democrat Queensborough President Donovan Richards introduced the bill Thursday. It would make, a mis make it a misdemeanor to send unsolicited sexually explicit videos or images to others with the intent to harass, annoy, or alarm. Right now, sending such a picture is only illegal if it includes child pornography or another illegal act. And now for your sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. First, in the NBA, a pair of Game 3s are on the schedule tonight. But the big question is whether Philly center Joel Embiid will play against Miami. The Sixers' whole game plan revolves around his presence in the lane and his continued absence is a big reason why the Heat are up 2-0 in the series. Embiid's status was upgraded to doubtful earlier today after the five-time All-Star cleared the concussion protocol. Yet the seven-footer still has a facial fracture to deal with. For the Heat, a slew of players are listed as questionable for tonight's contest, including six-time All-Star Kyle Lowry and six-man of the year Tyler Hero. In the second matchup, Phoenix will be looking to take a 3-0 lead over Dallas. The Mavs will need to turn up their defense to avoid a sweep as the Suns are shooting 57% from the floor through the first two games. Meanwhile, Dallas will look for more scoring, that is outside of Luka Doncic, who's put up 80 points through the first two games. In other NBA news, the league has fined Warriors forward Draymond Green for making an obscene gesture towards fans in their Game 2 loss in Memphis. Memphis, on the other hand, will be without forward Dylan Brooks. Brooks was suspended for making unnecessary and excessive contact on Warriors guard Gary Payton II that resulted in Payton breaking his elbow. Payton is expected to be out for a month. In the NHL, Boston will give second-year goalie Jeremy Swayman his first playoff start tonight as the Bruins look to dig themselves out of an 0-2 hole against the Hurricanes. Boston has been outscored 10-3 so far in the series. Meanwhile, the NHL has fined Bruins forward Brad Marchand $5,000 for slashing in Game 2, while his teammate, defenseman Derek Forbort, was also fined $5,000 for high-sticking. Elsewhere in the league, Tampa Bay hosts Toronto, Minnesota is at St. Louis, and the Kings and Oilers square off in L.A. with all three series tied at one game apiece. On to baseball. The Mets' ninth inning rally last night not only increased their division lead to five and a half games over Miami, it represented their largest final inning comeback in 25 years. Starling Marte started it with an infield single and ended it with a go-ahead RBI double. In between, New York got two doubles, three singles, and a two-run home run by Francisco Lindor. All in all, seven runs crossed the plate to turn a 7-1 deficit into an 8-7 lead that Edwin Diaz held down for his sixth save. The shocking win ended a league-wide streak of 857 straight losses by teams trailing by six runs or more in the ninth. And finally, this Saturday's Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs will feature the first full-capacity crowd in three years. Yet the race will be without the face of the sport, legendary trainer Bob Baffert. Baffert was banned by Churchill Downs for this year and next after his winning horse last year, Medina Spirit, tested positive for a banned drug. Since states that have horse racing operate on a system of reciprocity, Baffert is banned everywhere. The 69-year-old denies he knowingly cheated. That's all for sports today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, the FDA limiting the use of the J&J &J COVID vaccine. It's over health risks. And a rock climber nicknamed Pro-Life Spider-Man is scaling buildings to bring awareness to what he says are criminal actions by one doctor. 
NTD spoke to him after he climbed one of the tallest buildings in the U.S. More when we return with NTD News. Three major COVID vaccines used in the U.S., Johnson & Johnson's is by far the least popular. And now it'll probably be used even less. The FDA announced Thursday it's limiting its use. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. The FDA is limiting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to adults over 18 who can't use other vaccines. This is because of a blood clot risk. When those blood clots do form and someone gets TTS, as rare as it is, it can be quite dangerous. Um, there's a, there is a substantial mortality rate. Dr. J. Wesley Alm is a medical researcher at Harvard Medical School Hospital System. Alm says the J&J &J shot can still be better for some than the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Many people may prefer it to the other vaccines, again, particularly these young teenagers, young men, who have a higher rate of myocarditis with something like Moderna. Pfizer is somewhat in between. Unlike Pfizer and Moderna, the J&J vaccine requires only a single shot and works more like a traditional vaccine. However, it's been used far less than its rivals, partially because of the blood clot risk. This rare side effect is only being seen in about one person out of every two million doses. Peter Pitts is a former FDA associate commissioner. Pitts says it's mostly women under 50 more likely to get the clots. The clotting risks were first announced last spring, with the Johnson & Johnson shot in the U.S. and a similar vaccine made by AstraZeneca used in other countries. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Health officials are worried about more than 100 cases of severe and unexplained hepatitis in children. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has reported 109 cases in 25 states. So far, five kids have died and 14% needed liver transplants. Almost all of them have had to be hospitalized. It's still a mystery what is causing the disease and investigators say there may not be a single cause. Hepatitis is a general term used to describe any swelling of the liver. Viruses, toxins, and autoimmune diseases are among a variety of things that can lead to it. One of those viruses is adenovirus, which researchers detected in more than 50% of the cases. However, in many of those instances, the virus was only detected in the blood and not in liver tissue, as would be expected. Buy now, pay later is certainly not new, but it's now attracting a new group of consumers, Generation Z. Young people who want to get their hands on the latest fashion and gadgets. And if you don't have the cash, why not buy it now and pay later? What can go wrong? NTD's Phil Zoe has the story. There's a hot new trend catching fire on TikTok. Buy now, pay later. Many young influencers are seen wearing clothes and jewelry worth hundreds if not thousands of dollars. And if you don't have the cash, just buy now, pay later. So both from an access and an attitude standpoint, buy now, pay later is attractive. Ted Rossman is a senior analyst at personal finance firm Bankrate. A lot of people don't even view it as debt. They just think, oh, that's just four payments that I need to make over the next six weeks and then I'm done. Or even if it stretches out longer, there's built-in light at the end of the tunnel. So I think that predictability is really part of the appeal. Americans spent more than $20 billion on buy now, pay later services last year. 
For Generation Z, their appetite for short-term loans grew tenfold since 2020. You want to kind of space out that payment so it becomes more affordable. Mark Warner is the founder of GhostBed. He offers buy now, pay later for his mattresses. He says people need to be responsible and not get carried away. There's always going to be people that misuse things. I mean, for example, if you like pizza and some guy makes great pizzas, if you eat five pizzas, you're probably going to get a bellyache. You know, but you have to be the person that regulates that. So um, some people will probably take on too much credit. And it could be younger people that just aren't really realizing what they're, they're in for. A recent poll from Ipsos showed people wanting to use buy now, pay later for gas and even rent. Over half of the people surveyed want to use it for medical bills, which a fourth of Americans cannot afford. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Catholics nationwide are bracing for possible pro-abortion protests in or outside their local churches. This is due to the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. At least one church has already been targeted. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. St. Peter's Church on Capitol Hill alerted churchgoers Friday to credible threats of protesters disrupting mass this weekend. As NTD reported Thursday, pro-abortion group Ruth Santos is encouraging protests inside Catholic churches this Sunday, which is also Mother's Day. The activist group has a history of disrupting Catholic church services to protest abortion restrictions. Numerous Catholic groups are urging followers to pray and not engage with protesters should they turn up. All this is in response to the leaked Supreme Court document, revealing a majority of the court supports striking down Roe v. Wade. Since the leak on Monday, several pro-life pregnancy centers and advocates have become the targets of vandalism, violence and harassment. At least one Catholic church has also been targeted. Live Action News reports the Southeast Portland Pregnancy Resource Center in Oregon was vandalized Wednesday. Photos show its windows smashed and obscenities written in graffiti directed at CPCs, standing for crisis pregnancy centers. Life News reports a second pregnancy center called ClearNet in Maryland was vandalized with graffiti Tuesday. The center provided these photos of the damage to Tim Cost, showing graffiti urging people to go to PP instead, meaning Planned Parenthood and reading and Forced Motherhood. Also on Tuesday, the Sacred Heart of Mary Catholic Church in Boulder, Colorado was vandalized with pro-abortion graffiti. One window was also reportedly broken. Photos obtained by the Catholic News Agency show an anarchist A spray-painted on a truck outside the church. Security has also increased around the Supreme Court and the justices' homes in anticipation of weekend protests. Grace Coulter, NTD News. After the Roe v. Wade leak, one young man has become somewhat of a superhero in the argument. The self-proclaimed pro-life Spider-Man climbs buildings to draw attention to the people he says should be in jail. NTD's Jason Blair spoke to the climber after he scaled a building in San Francisco. Mason Deschamps is not only a climber, but also a pro-life activist who surprised onlookers on Tuesday morning when he climbed the second tallest building in California. After the news broke about Dr. Cesar Santangelo, that, that's what really uh, sparked all of this. I, I've been wanting to climb the Salesforce Tower for a while. I've been looking at buildings in New York and whatnot, but when that happened, I was like, okay, they're not investigating this? That, that is absolutely insane. 
like if I can do anything, I have to do it now. Dr. Santangelo is a late-term abortion doctor in Washington, D.C., and has been under fire from pro-life groups. Some accuse him of performing illegal live abortions. I want to see this man in jail. He's an abortionist in D.C., and the D.C. police refuse to investigate him. Uh, pro-life activists have recovered uh, bodies that appear to be very, very late-term if not illegally aborted outside of the womb, which is, I mean, just outright murdering babies. Deschamps says his main goals are to raise awareness about Dr. Santangelo, as well as raise money for charity organizations. He says the timing with the leak suggesting the Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade was not planned. But it was crazy how that uh, sort of helps the help the spread of, of my message too and, and I couldn't believe it I, I was uh, I was very surprised Deschamps says that one of the reasons he chose the Salesforce tower was because it had ledges to rest on every 10 feet one of the thing that things that appealed to me when I was looking into buildings that I could climb is that the Salesforce tower had a lot of rests right because when you're climbing you want to be able to stop and shake out or calm yourself if, if you're feeling overwhelmed. And I could do that every 10 feet on the Salesforce Tower. And so when I was climbing, I wasn't actually thinking about climbing a thousand foot building. I said, all I got to do is climb 10 feet at a time. He said one thing he regretted was not bringing any water, but he enjoyed seeing all of the people inside the building while he was climbing. Uh, I could see everyone through the glass. And so uh, they were on the inside filming me. The climber says, though, that the police were waiting for him when he arrived at the top. Because I, I, I broke the law and I used up their resources and I, I feel bad for that. But they were so defunded that they had to debate whether or not it was worth bringing me in. Deschamps was eventually taken in and released about two hours later with two misdemeanors. One was for trespassing and one for resisting arrest for not complying when police told him to stop climbing. Half of my family is mad. The other half thinks it's really cool. I have probably gotten a thousand death threats from people. And uh, I mean, like actual death threats. And then you got people who are just like, uh, like jump, you know, like jump off. And I, I just think that's stupid. But he's also received a lot of support. Deschamps shares his activity on Instagram and said he especially enjoys reading the comments on his charity GoFundMe page. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. Coming up, in Cuba, rescue crews are hoping to find survivors after a deadly explosion at a well-known hotel in the heart of the capital. And a massive fight breaks out in Shanghai between locals and authorities. The city has been under strict lockdown. That and much more coming up on NTD News. Strong explosion hit a well-known hotel in downtown Havana today, tearing a gash several floors high into the side of the building. At least nine people were killed and 40 others injured. Those numbers could rise as the search continues for people trapped in the rubble. NTD's Chenny Wu gives us the details. 
Right now in Cuba, rescue crews are hoping to find survivors after a deadly explosion blew up the outer walls of a five-star hotel in the heart of the capital. President Miguel Diaz-Canel went to the scene of the disaster. He says the explosion at Hotel Saratoga wasn't caused by a bomb and suggested that a gas leak is the most likely cause. Police cordoned off the area as firefighters and rescue workers toiled inside the wreckage, only around 110 yards away from Cuba's Capitol building. At the time of the explosion, the hotel was closed and only workers were inside. The neoclassical-style hotel was considered the place to go for visiting government officials and celebrities. And according to his Facebook page, it was set to reopen in four days. Chenny Wu, NTD News. And in China, a fight erupted at an apple factory in Shanghai over the lockdowns. Here's NTD's Don Ma. A clash breaks out amid lockdowns between locals and Shanghai authorities. The clash on Thursday is at the Shanghai factory Quanta. Quanta makes devices for Apple like MacBooks. The factory workers are rebelling because they're fed up with Shanghai's lockdown measures. Amid Shanghai's lockdown, authorities are forcing workers to work, live and sleep on site. Whether it's at factories or at office buildings, you're not allowed to go home. Essentially, Shanghai turned some workplaces into quarantine facilities. But Shanghai locals' protest may end up in vain, as Xi Jinping on Thursday told Chinese officials in an important meeting to unswervingly follow the zero-COVID policy. He told them to firmly oppose acts that goes against China's virus prevention policies. But what does that look like in practice? Here's a clip of what happened to a woman who went against virus prevention policies. She's being forcibly given a virus test. China's zero-COVID policy aims to get rid of every single virus case across the nation. It tries to achieve this through strict lockdowns and regular mass virus testing. China is currently setting up thousands of permanent virus testing stations. 9,000 are already completed in Shanghai. Authorities are seeking to normalize tough pandemic measures even after the current round of lockdowns end. But of course, Chinese residents are worried long-term measures could cause them a lot of pain. But I also hope that the government can introduce some policies that will not affect the overall lives of citizens. After all, we have mortgages and car loans and are under pressure. An estimate by Normira, a Japanese finance holding company, shows the economic cost of China's zero-COVID policy, specifically the cost of mass virus testing. It says testing 70% of the population every two days would amount to 8.4% of China's GDP. That's equal to more than $1.3 trillion. Don Ma, NTD News. The European Parliament is calling out the Chinese regime for killing prisoners of conscience for its lucrative transplant industry. Lawmakers have adopted a resolution condemning the practice, which particularly targets Falun Gong practitioners. This comes after the UK Parliament last week made it illegal for British citizens to travel outside the UK, including to China, to purchase an organ. NTD's Joy Felix brings us this report. The vote is closed. And it has been adopted. 
members of the European Parliament adopted a resolution denouncing the Chinese regime's practice of forced organ harvesting. Lawmakers cited that the 2019 ruling by the London-based Independent China Tribunal, which found that the Chinese regime had for years been killing prisoners of conscience for their organs for transplant on a substantial scale. The resolution says, Parliament expresses its serious concerns about the reports of persistent, systematic, inhumane and state-sanctioned organ harvesting from prisoners in the People's Republic of China, and more specifically, from Falun Gong practitioners. Falun Gong is a spiritual practice that has been persecuted in China for over 20 years. But it is not just Falun Gong practitioners who are victimized. The targets are well known. Falun Gong, Tibetans, Muslims, Christians and Uyghurs. People treated like livestock, subject to compulsory health checks just to be sure their organs can be harvested. Dear colleagues, this is the one of the worst atrocities committed in modern times and without a doubt an outstanding crime against humanity. The resolution requested EU member states to reconsider their collaboration with China on transplant medicine, research and training. The passage of the resolution came three days ahead of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michel Bachelet's planned trip to China. The lawmakers urged the UN to investigate the issue during the visit. Joy Felix, NTD News. Coming up, a Goodwill store in Texas sold a bust for just $35, but it turns out it's an ancient Roman relic. The buyer is returning the bus to Germany, where it once belonged. And in Paris, officials want to chop down century-old trees near the Eiffel Tower for new development. But local residents launched a campaign to oppose the project, which has gone viral on social media. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. A woman in Texas is returning an ancient Roman bust she bought at a Goodwill store to Germany, where it belongs. She bought the bust for just $34.99, without knowing it's actually about 2,000 years old. It's unclear how the Roman bust ended up at a Goodwill store in Austin, Texas. It was once in the collection of a king in Bavaria, Germany, during the 19th century. It was looted during World War II. The buyer, Laura Young, is a dealer of antique goods. After buying the bust in 2018, she did her own research and contacted two auction houses. They told her that the bust is an ancient Roman relic. It had come from either the late 1st century BC or early 1st century AD. Young later struck an agreement with the Bavarian government to have the bust returned to Germany. The bust is currently on display at the San Antonio Museum of Art and will leave for Germany next year. And in Paris, City Hall wanted to chop down century-old trees near the Eiffel Tower for new development. But locals and campaigners successfully put pressure on the mayor to ditch the plan. Here's more from NTD's David Vives. In the French capital, warmer temperatures are back, and tourists as well, many of whom enjoy a visit to the Eiffel Tower. Some of the trees here were planted before the tower's construction began. 
Today they form the canopy halfway up from the tower's first floor and give a beautiful view to visitors. But dozens of those trees are in danger to be cut down as the city's mayor plans to build tourist facilities and offices at the foot of the tower. Christine Nedelec is the head of an environmental group opposed to the project. This is a plane tree planted under Napoleon Bonaparte in 1814, so it is more than 200 years old, and the mayor wants to build a new restaurant in the place of this little garden. Her association launched a petition on change.org. With the help of journalists, Paris lawmakers and celebrities, it went viral on social media. They reached over 130,000 signatures in just days. The response was enormous. Many show business personalities, actors who said, like us, this project is not acceptable. You have to know that this project has been presented to Parisians in the context of a study, and 90% of them rejected it. But the city council decided to proceed with it anyway. Following the success of the petition, Paris mayor Anne Hidalgo says she has ditched the plan to fell the trees at the Eiffel Tower. Nidelec says the building licenses are still valid, which means structures at the site can still be built. The problem of chopping down trees is not limited to the Eiffel Tower site. As a part of a new development plan, including for the 2024 Olympic Games, the city fell many century-old trees across the capital, triggering anger from residents as in the east of Paris, where 76 plane trees have recently been cut down. Nedelec says the idea of replacing them with new trees doesn't make sense. Everyone agrees that trees are necessary for our survival. The state and local authorities say that they can be replaced. But trees that are hundreds of years old, that have reached maturity, that provide water circulation, shade, etc., cannot be replaced by saplings that cannot grow, that have to be replanted four times. Older trees with a large volume of leaves can bring temperatures down several degrees and help quell air pollution. Anne Nedelec says they are also an important part of the city landscape. Trees are part of the landscape part of the view that one has on a monument. The new urbanism does not take this into account. Some sources say 15,000 trees have been chopped down since the beginning of Paris' socialist mayor's term, while City Hall says the cutting down are part of a plan to plant 170,000 new trees before of 2026. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.